0: Refugee. Chapter One, Part One. New York Times, November 24, 1974. The UN General Assembly on November 22, approved resolutions declaring that Palestinian people have the right to independence and sovereignty, and giving Palestine Liberation Organization, PLO, Observer Status in U.N. Affairs Ali darted into a narrow alley. As he ran, he listened. At first, all he heard was the pounding of his own feet on the street and the rush of his breath. In, out, in, out. Then he heard it, the thud of a single pair of combat boots behind him. Instantly, he turned. "'and dodged between a narrow space between two houses. "'As soon as he passed the house, "'he jumped over the low stone wall that surrounded its backyard. "'He looked around wildly for something that would give him cover. "'Finding nothing, he flattened himself against the door in the recessed doorway "'and slapped the door with his hand a few times. "'The noise was not loud, and, with luck, Someone inside would hear it. Luck was with him. He practically fell into the house when the woman opened the door. Anyone else, she asked, before closing the door behind him. Thank you, Auntie. Ollie's eyes and nose still burned from the tear gas. Judging by the expression on the woman's face, his clothes still smelled as well. Go wash your face and hands, she pointed toward a door. He hesitated, listening for sounds from the street outside. Don't worry, the woman said. If the soldiers come to the door, I'll make them wait until you're done. She smiled at his startled look. He grinned back as he realized she was teasing. Grateful, he went to get the tear gas off his face and as much of the rest of him as he could. There was no shouting from the street, so he assumed... The soldier who'd been chasing him thought it more prudent to rejoin his companions than risk an ambush in the narrow alleys between houses. One small boy wasn't worth the risk, even if he was the small friend. He smiled, remembering a soldier shouting at one of the other boys, asking about his small friend. He was proud that his rock-throwing prowess had been noticed. He was shorter than most of the boys in his class, but his aim was better. He could tell the difference between original and replacement windows in military vehicles by the sound of a rock shattering the glass. He walked back into the main room of the house. Water dripped from hair he'd just doused under the faucet. He shivered as a cold drop slid down his spine. The woman had set a glass of sweet tea on a small table by an empty chair. So tell me, why did you come out to throw rocks wearing a red sweater? You must know there's a reason soldiers dress as they do. Ollie liked this woman. She was observant and talked to him like a friend. When I left the house this morning, I wasn't expecting trouble. (laughs) You should have known better than that. When you live in the occupied territory, trouble's the way of life. He heard laughter in her words. Drink your tea and I'll see if I can find a brown shirt you can wear without tripping over it. She disappeared into another room. I may be small, but I have a good arm. They've even noticed me. I heard a soldier ask one of the boys where his small friend was. Sometimes it's better not to be noticed. She shook her head. You have a name and you wear red? She returned with the dark shirt and sat down with her own glass of tea. So tell me, small friend, do you think you can win this war by throwing stones? Ollie took a sip of his tea before he answered. She'd opened her door to him and deserved a serious answer. He wasn't sure where to begin. How naive was she to ask that question? You watch television. It was a statement, not a question. The woman nodded. What do you see about Palestine these days? I see boys like yourself throwing rocks at soldiers armed with rifles and tanks. Doesn't sound like a good idea to me. As I said, do you think you can win this war using stones? If you're asking if we can defeat the Israeli army with stones, the answer is no, of course not. No matter how many stones we throw, we can only be annoying. He looked into his tea glass, searching for the right words. Palestinians call 1948 Nekba for a reason. Nekba means catastrophe, and Palestinians experienced a catastrophe the likes of which few societies have suffered. He didn't say this. She already knew. What could he say that wouldn't sound patronizing? Do you know that during the Nekba, 85% of our population left their homes? Or that 50% of the villages were destroyed? No, I didn't know the numbers were that high. Ever since 1948, we've been waiting politely for the world to solve our problem. But the world forgot about us. People forget we existed, and nobody was even trying to solve our problem. In a straight bullets-versus-stone battle, bullets win every time. But there's another war that we've ignored for decades this is the war for attention. He paused to see if she was really listening. She nodded and he continued. We just got observer status in the United Nations. We didn't get that by sitting and waiting. We got it because we made noise and people are noticing. Those are mighty big ideas and smooth words for a small friend. Are you sure those are really your words? Or are you just repeating the words of others? Allie felt his face redden, partly from embarrassment and partly from anger. I'm 16, Auntie. I look younger because I'm small, but I'll finish high school next year. I listen and I learn. I listen to the news. I listen to the men in the shops. I listen to the men arguing in the coffeehouses. My friends and I talk politics all the time. We read all the pamphlets. He realized he sounded defensive and his voice was getting louder. He took a deep breath and continued in a calmer voice. Maybe you're right. Some of the ideas and the words I use aren't mine, but I've thought about them a lot. I make up my own mind. What harm is there in using other people's ideas, as long as you're convinced they're right? If they can see something better than I can, why not use that as well? And are you convinced? Yes, I am. For some reason, Ali felt it was important that he convinced this woman he was right. He didn't even want to think about the arguments he'd had trying to convince Leith that what he was doing was useful. He turned his attention back to the woman sipping her tea. You cook grape leaves, don't you? The woman nodded. Was it your idea to roll the leaves around rice and meat, or did you learn it from your mother? Do they still taste good, even though it wasn't your idea? Why should political ideas be any different? Just because I didn't think of this myself doesn't mean I can't use the argument. that I shouldn't believe it. I'm not talking about your ideas of justice and injustice. I'm talking about the way you think it should be solved. A few weeks ago, I was reading the subtitles on the English news for my mother, and they were asking regular people what they thought of the situation here. Most of them said silly things like we'd been fighting here for thousands of years. But one man said something very different. He said that when he saw young boys and girls throwing stones at tanks and soldiers with machine guns, he decided there must be a real injustice somewhere. He decided to find out more about Palestine. And the more he found out, the more he found our cause to be just. I know that's only one man, but he's the one that got on the camera. Maybe people are noticing us now. These people will ask their governments why no one's trying to help us. When enough people start asking, something will happen. Are you sure about that? I think it's our duty to make the world hear us now. Should I let others risk their lives to make this happen without doing my part? Why did it matter to him what this woman thought? You quoted statistics. What's the biggest export of Palestine? Ali was surprised by the question. Didn't seem to have anything to do with what they'd been discussing. I don't know. We grow stuff? Maybe oranges or something? No, I bet it's olives. Or maybe olive oil. Wrong on all counts. It's people. We export educated people. There are Palestinian doctors and engineers and teachers all over the Arab world and beyond. These people send money back and help their families. Without this money, we'd be a lot worse off than we are today. Is this another stay in school and study hard lecture? I get those from my brother all the time. Ali was angry at himself for not being more grateful for her hospitality, but he was angry at her for taking advantage of his position. As a guest, he had to listen and be polite, although he knew his reaction was in the almost rude category. No, son, she said softly. It's a please-be-careful-and-don't-waste-our-resources lecture. I know that we need to do something so people notice us. Yes, I watch the news, and I read my own subtitles. I listen to the men argue. I've even been known to do some arguing myself. I know our only weapons are words and stones, but for God's sake, don't throw yourself away for one more broken window in a military vehicle. It isn't worth your life. Ali was surprised by the passion in her voice. She looked away, but not quickly enough to hide the tears in her eyes. Ali suddenly understood. With a surge of sympathy, he asked if she'd lost someone. She nodded, and they were silent for a minute. He murmured the stock phrases of condolence. Even as he said them, he realized the inadequacy of any words to console a mother who had lost a child. She turned back to him with a smile. Things seem quiet now. Go home before your mother gets any more gray hair worrying about you. Ali thanked the woman again and left, promising to return the shirt in a couple of days. He didn't expect to see soldiers in the neighborhood, and he was right. In fact, the streets were nearly empty. He walked toward the stop for the buses to Calendia, picking up small stones and throwing them at light poles or signs or bits of trash in the street. He listened with satisfaction to the various sounds they made as they hit the different targets. This, he said, is why my aim is good. Practice, practice, practice. He felt curiously light as he walked along. Then he stopped dead in his tracks when he realized what it was. His book bag. Where could it be? He tried to think through the day. He'd left home at the usual time and arrived at school with the bag. Then what? He'd gone inside. Had he put down the bag? The soldiers had arrived that morning along with the last of the students before classes started. He remembered catching a glimpse of the soldiers talking to the principal at the front door, while teachers got the boys out of the building by other doors, pushing and shoving when they didn't move fast enough. Ollie smiled as he thought of the principal standing in the doorway, a cowering lump of a man, while the soldiers demanded to enter the school. The principal was a strange person in Ollie's eyes. He puffed around the school all day, flying into a rage if anyone crossed him. But when soldiers appeared, he seemed to shrink into himself. At least, thought Ollie, today he would turned into a lump that blocked the doorway and delayed their entrance. Maybe, thought Ollie, with a flash of insight, maybe that look of fear was an act for the soldiers. Maybe the principal was looking meek to make the soldiers react with impatience rather than anger at his delays. Holly tried again to remember where his bag might be. There'd been a bit of panic among some of the teachers that spread to a lot of the students. Now he remembered. He'd been swept out the back door in a press of students. Some of the boys took off for home as fast as they could, but the rest of them started gathering stones. They moved around to the front of the building and the soldiers. He remembered now he'd tossed his bag somewhere in the back of the school. A backpack really spoils the aim and the speed if one needed to make a quick retreat. Should he take a chance and go back to the school and try to retrieve his bag, or should he go home without it? His preference was to go home and hope the bag was still there in the morning. He didn't intend to open it anyway tonight. And what if Leith came home tonight? Ever since their father was killed, his older brother had decided that his sole purpose in life was to ride Heard on his younger brothers whenever he was around. He had one soundtrack, and he played it over and over. Study hard, do better, study hard, do better. Ali amended that thought. Maybe Leith just wanted to make life uncomfortable for him. The younger boys didn't have any problems jumping through hoops if Laith asked them to. He groaned and headed for the school. He'd rather take a chance on meeting soldiers than face the lecture Laith would deliver if he came home and found Ali without a school bag. Or worse yet, if the bag disappeared and he had to ask for money to replace the books. Thinking about that turned Ali's walk into a jog asking his brother for money would be humiliating even without the lecture as ali got closer to the center of town he was relieved to see people going about their normal business that probably meant that most of the soldiers had left once they'd dispersed the stone-throwing boys with their tear gas he wondered what they'd wanted in the school that morning had they been looking for someone in particular or just throwing their weight around He'd probably never know. As he approached the school, he breathed a sigh of relief, no sign of military presence. He was surprised to see a group of boys playing soccer in the schoolyard. After declining an invitation to join the group, Holly began to look along the walls of the building and the wall around the yard. He had only a vague memory of tossing his bag toward a wall. There were a couple of dozen bags still in the yard. Mute testimony that soldiers had used tear gas. No student would abandon his bag under ordinary circumstances. He located his own within minutes. He picked it up and hurried toward the bus stop, thinking that he wasn't the only one who'd be in trouble if books needed to be replaced. Even the lousy paperback books that fell apart before the year was over cost more than many boys could afford. As much as he fought against his brother's control, he knew that he was very fortunate. Many boys his age couldn't afford to go to the free government high schools. Free was relative. There was no tuition fee. But after the students completed junior high in the UN schools in the camps, they had to use public transportation to go to the high school in town. It wasn't just the cost of the textbooks. It was also the cost of the transportation to and from town, and what Leith called the opportunity cost to the family of having them as consumers rather than earners. Leith never mentioned the guilt of the student, knowing that every coin used to take a bus to school was one less coin that went toward food for the family, the guilt of taking when he was perfectly capable of giving. As much as Ali loved his brother and appreciated what he did for the family, his resentment was sometimes so strong he nearly choked on it. His brother's motto was, worth twice as hard, so you can spend half and save half. And he pounded it into his brother's. He taught by example as well as by repeating the same thing over and over. He followed his own advice, and they all saw and understood that. Yet he would not let Ali apply it. It grated on Ali every day that his brother refused to let him even take a part-time job to help pull his own weight. Why couldn't Laith understand how it made him feel? His brother was killing himself working, and Ollie was just living off that work. He stared out the window of the bus as they approached the Kalendia camp. Most of the houses in Kalendia had solid roofs now. Very few still had the corrugated steel that had sheltered the refugees the first few winters they were there. Some houses had even added a second story, and often the original family moved upstairs, leaving the bottom level for the oldest son and his family. The camp had been here since 1948, when the State of Israel was formed by the United Nations. He still couldn't comprehend how the world could just take 46% of his country and give it to someone else. When the shooting stopped and the dust settled, the Israelis had taken even more land, and what remained was less than a fourth of their tiny country, and that was given to Jordan. Of course, he hadn't even been born in 1948, but he knew that his parents had fled the war zone, leaving their land, their house, and everything they owned, Carrying baby Lathe, they had walked until they reached Jordan. Ali did remember the 1967 war. He'd only been a small boy, but he remembered. Israel had taken the rest of his country, and he'd lost his father. He still remembered his mother telling him that he had to be brave so his younger brothers wouldn't be afraid. He was proud to be put in charge of the younger brothers. Selim had been four and Muhammad was barely walking, but Ali took his responsibilities seriously. He remembered waking up in the night being really frightened because he heard his mother sobbing. He wondered where Laith was because his little eight-year-old reasoning said that if he was responsible for his brothers, Laith must be responsible for their mother. But Laith was gone because he was being responsible for the family. Laith left before dawn each morning to help unload vegetable trucks in the market. He'd assumed the role of breadwinner for the family and had still managed to stay in school for the last year of high school. But everyone knew that going any further was impossible. Now he wanted Ali to live the dream he'd wanted for himself, to fulfill the dream of attending university "'that he had dreamed. "'Ali knew there was no way he could disregard his brother's wishes. "'Lath had worked so hard for all of them. "'How could he not do the one thing he'd been asked to do? "'The bus came to a stop, and Ali slung his bag over his shoulder, "'resolving to get some serious studying done that night.' And now, an excerpt from chapter one, part two. Lathe's jaw hurt from clenching his teeth. His fingernails dug into his palm. How could the world turn upside down so quickly? Just this morning, he'd felt full of hope. He gave a vicious kick to a fist-sized rock that was lying on the sidewalk. I was startled by a yell. Thank you for coming. We'll see you next time.